hint. Uh, Lord God, uh, Lord Jesus, you personify wisdom. You are wisdom itself. You are the source of all wisdom, and we look to you in this moment of you know, financial stress. We live in one of the most expensive cities in the world, and so therefore we need your wisdom more now than ever to manage the money that you allow us to steward and manage in our lives, and we want to do that wisely in a way that reflects your character and reflects and displays uh, your uh, glory. Uh, Lord, uh, Holy Spirit, we ask you to empower us today. We need motivation and strength to not spend merely to keep up appearances, to examine the order of our loves and to look at our priorities and to see if they are in the, the right order that honors you and, and in the order that you would have us have them in. We ask that you would give us the power, Holy Spirit, to pay careful attention to our finances day in and day out for your name's sake. In this moment, Lord God, I ask that you would help me to speak your words, not my own, and do this for your credit alone. Uh, through Christ we pray. Amen. Scott Larson to come forward and he's going to share today's scripture. Matt, Jeff, Kurt, you guys are tough acts to follow up here. So, <laughs> Proverbs 27, verses 23 to 27. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever, and does a crown endure to all generations. When the grass is gone and the new growth appears and the vegetation of the mountains is gathered, the lambs will provide your clothing, and the goats the price of a field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household, and maintenance for your girls. Thank you very much, Scott. We're continuing our five-part sermon series entitled Money and the Wisdom of Proverbs. And the big idea with this series is to give you actual hope, tangible direction with your finances. Because as I mentioned, as I prayed, you and I live in one of the most expensive city regions in the world. We also live in one of the most debt-ridden city regions in Canada. And then to top it all off as a nice little cherry, we enjoy uh, some of the highest gases, or if not the highest gas prices in Canada on the West Coast. So, congratulations to us. What do you do living in this money-tight environment? Well, we therefore have to look to the wisdom of God that he's given us in the book of Proverbs, in the Bible, and scripture elsewhere in order to learn how to trust God in this environment. We need his power and we need his self-discipline and his wisdom more now than ever to skillfully and rightly handle the money that he's given us to manage. The idea is we want to, to give you all the tools and direction from scripture to get back on the financial uh, road, the, uh, the financial health, the road of financial health and generosity towards others. Now, uh, week number one in this series, we looked at what true wealth is, and true wealth has very often nothing to do with money. It's something else, and we looked at that on January 13th. And last Sunday, we looked at wisdom and debt and how to manage one's debt if you're snowed under. And then today's sermon title is simply this Why spending? Wise spending. And to kick things off, let me ask you this question. Uh, what was the wisest purchase that you've ever made? What was the, the wisest purchase 
that you have ever made. Now, Pastor Bob, he is uh, the pastor of Port Kells Church. He and I are collaborating on preparing this uh, sermon series together. And he was actually the one that came up with that question, what's the wisest purchase you've ever made? And myself being a car guy, I told Bob, I said, Bob, you purchasing and owning and driving that 2003 Toyota Corolla, now that was a much wiser purchasing decision than me buying a Ford Mustang. Because if you know anything about Toyota Corollas, if you look after your Corolla well and you maintain it well, it very well could be the, the last car that you ever own. Those things just are bulletproof. They just last forever. And, uh, you know, they're, they're gutless, but they're bulletproof, okay? If you don't care about speed, then you get a Corolla, okay? Some of you have, a lot of you actually have Corollas. Very wise purchase. Great on gas, cheap parts. Mustangs, not so, not so wise. Terrible on gas, all right? And I know, I, I'm now living that truth. Bob's Corolla could be seen as a much better, wiser spending of money. But what about this? Think about, have you been to that $50,000 wedding or that $100,000 wedding ceremony that it costs that kind of money to put on? I have been to a $50,000 wedding. In fact, I officiated the ceremony at this $50,000 wedding. What we saw at the wedding was the most expensive uh, dress, wedding dress worn by the bride you've ever seen, the most expensive tuxes were rented, uh, 300 or more people were fed at this very exquisite wedding reception that would have made Gordon Ramsay proud. I mean, that was amazing food, seven, eight, ten course, whatever it was, limos rented, multiple carat platinum diamond rings purchased. Can you say cha-ching? I do. I do say cha-ching in that situation. The result is, unless mommy and daddy are loaded, you begin this new marriage uh, as the bride and the groom, as young people, you begin and start things off tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. And you know what you did? This might have been you. I don't know. I'm not trying to, to you know, talk, you know, slack about anybody. But if this was you and you were ten thousand dollars in debt or maybe a hundred thousand dollars in debt because of your wedding you justified that 50 grand or 100 grand wedding because this is what people in love do this is what people in love do they they just they just do it but let me ask wouldn't it have been wiser to do your wedding on the cheap buy the silver rings until you can afford the diamond ones maybe get your church family to help with the food uh, give you a, a reception location if they have a building, help with the, the ceremony, maybe the pastor would do it on the cheap, probably not. Meaning, wouldn't that 50 grand come in handy? Wouldn't that 50 grand come in handy to go towards your first mortgage or your education or your future kids' education? Here's the thing. You and I often miss or underestimate, we underestimate the power and the value of spending your money wisely and prudently and frugally. It's insane how much money can be saved and then directed towards others and directed towards much good and directed towards the mission of Jesus instead of on yourself or unwise purchases if you live frugally. For example, you may have heard of this story in and around Christmas time. There's a man in Seattle who recently passed away. His name is Alan Naaman, 
And Alan was a guy who every day wore Costco jeans, the $13 kind, and bought his favorite t-shirts at the local grocery store. Uh, and basically, this man squirreled away every penny he possibly could. Alan was so good at living frugally that when he died, his friends were shocked to learn that he left more than $11 million to charities in Seattle. He left $11 million to charities in Seattle. Isn't that cool? His friends say, or his friend, his closest friend says, Alan was just that kind of guy. He just couldn't spend his money. Can you imagine? Couldn't spend his money. It was just in his nature to save money and put it aside. Saving money was sort of a game with him. Saving, he would brag about how much, or he would have a whole day out in Seattle, and then he would come back home and he would boast that he hadn't spent one red cent being out and about. All right? So it was a game. My point is, don't you see the good that can be done for others when you spend money as carefully and as wisely and as frugally as, as Alan? And this leads me to the big idea I want to share with you today. The big idea is this. Imagine yourself doing this, spending your money wisely and skillfully under the reign and rule of King Jesus. Jesus personifies wisdom. He is wisdom itself, source of all wisdom. In order to ensure your, your finances are, are healthy and, and stable, don't we all want stable finances as well as generous? Even if today I... I presume that a lot of us in this room are snowed under with all kinds of personal debt. Despite that fact, there is hope for you to get back on track with your finances. It is never too late to try to get back on track. In fact, it's January. Here we are in January. Perfect. That's why we're doing this series. Start the year right. Start the year right by getting back on track and looking to the wisdom of Proverbs. Let's get down to business here. I want to share with you only three points today. I'm going to look at the clock and ensure that we're not running over time because, you know, there's a few things going on. And by the way, we hope that you'll stay for some cake after the service as well. The first point from Proverbs about wise spending in your life and in your notes is this. Spending your money to keep up appearances is unwise and untruthful. Spending money simply to keep up appearances is unwise and it's simply not truthful, okay? Basically, this point speaks to that desire in you that wants to keep up with the Joneses. Are the Joneses here today, by the way? Okay, that's probably helpful. I realize keeping up with the Joneses means something if you have someone in your church with that last name. And I'm not talking about the Joneses at Mercy Hill Church. I'm talking about your neighbors, the Joneses, whoever it is in your life uh, that you're sort of competing with and envious of. And that can be your next door neighbor, can be a coworker, can be a family member. And today it's much less about keeping up with the Joneses as it is keeping up with the Kardashians. Keeping up with the Kardashians, that seems to be the main focus uh, today, unfortunately. Now, what is this desire to keep up with the Joneses or, or the Kardashians? It, it, basically, as I said, it's when your friend or family member or neighbor, they get that new house and they get that new car or they get that new high-paying, well-paying job, or they get that new plastic surgery, and you say, I want that too. In fact, I want an even bigger, better house. I want an even better body. I want an even better uh, sense of fashion, or a better smartphone, or whatever. Now, why would I want that, and sort of want up them? Because it will make me appear to be better than the Joneses, or the Kardashians, or better than my 
friend or so-called friend or coworker. Problem is, all of these things cost a lot of money, do they not? Look at this helpful warning from Proverbs on this issue. Uh, chapter 12, verse 9, it says, this is really good stuff, better to be lowly and have a servant than to play the, the great man and lack bread. Better to be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. You've got to love these Proverbs. They're, by design, a given to us for you to chew on and to sort of let it, you know, uh, stew in your heart and stew in your mind for you to think about in our speed-based culture, Proverbs don't work so well unless you actually slow yourself down and dwell upon its truth, and then it clicks that moment, the aha moment in your mind and in your heart. And so I've done this for you, so you don't have to do this unless you want to do that at home and let that stew within you. But the proverb is saying it's better for you to have a lower income and yet have enough income to meet your basic needs than to be the so-called great man and to appear that you've got all kinds of dough and to play this great man, this, this great woman, and you're like an actor in a fake movie. It's like acting in a non-real life in which you live. And to keep up with the Kardashians, you go deep into debt for that bigger house than you need, that nicer car than you need, than the nicer body that you need, than the nicer fashion that you need, than the nicer technology that you think you need, and, and entertainment and leisure. And leisure is a big thing on the West Coast. So much so, that after the, the fake movie of your life sort of plays out, well, the money then, shortly after, runs out. And you have no more bread. You don't even have enough money to sort of cover off the basics, the, the, base, the necessary basics for you to function in your life. That's a problem. That's what this proverb is speaking to. Another proverb, uh, chapter 13, verse 7, it says, One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Pretending is just a bad idea, by the way, whether you're rich or poor. But is this you? Are you pretending to be rich and yet have nothing? Is everything you own on credit? That means you actually don't own that stuff. This kind of reminds me where Jesus says the first will be last and the last first. Remember that? True story. Here's a true story I want to share with you. This is about a financial advisor, and by the way, most financial advisors are good, upstanding, excellent people. Uh, but this one was somewhat problematic in the, in the moral department, okay? So anyhow, just needed to say that on the front end before I blacklist them all, and I'm not. A financial advisor purports to be a follower of Jesus, and this advisor, let's call him Joe. Hopefully your name is not Joe, this is not you. Let's look at Joe. And when you, you see this guy, and you see him walking around, and you see him driving his, his car, you say, wow. You say, wow, because he's got the new leased BMW, new model every year, all right? He's got the tailored suits going on, and they're kind of flashy, and then he's off to somewhere in some place tropical four, five, six times a year, all right? I mean, he's living the high life. And, and someone I know sits down with Joe to talk about their, their investments and their financial stuff, and this client says to Joe, Wow, Joe, my fellow Christian brother, it seems like the Lord is really blessing you these days. That's amazing. And notice what Joe says back in response to his client, his Christian client. He says, Look, I pay more in taxes every year than you even make. I pay more in taxes every year than you even make in one year's time. Okay? Now, what a, 
What an arrogant thing to say, first of all. Isn't that crazy? What an arrogant thing to say as a Christian, or a so-called Christian. But secondly, that's a lot of taxes to pay, which means his income, it sounds like it's, he's making a lot of money, making a lot of dough. But here's the, the incredible irony in this story. True story. Joe, as it turns out, he's not paying any taxes to CRA, as it turns out. He's not paying any taxes, okay, whatsoever. Further, everything that Joe has purchased to make himself look like a rich guy, all of it is on credit. And last but not least, just to cherry on the top, Joe is running what is called a Ponzi scheme, targeting well-meaning Christians in the Fraser Valley. Chances are good you've read about this guy, Joe, it's not his real name, uh, but you may have read about him in the news a few years ago. This happens right in our own backyard. So let me ask you, let me ask you, when you, you might drive around in this area and you might see the big houses, you might see the multiple brand new cars going on and all the bling, and, and you see what appears to be a very high level of wealth in that household, and you might ask, how do they do it? It seems like everyone is rich around here. How do they do it with all that nice stuff? And you find yourself very envious of them. And you think, Lord, what about me? Well, just tell yourself in that moment. Now, is it wrong to have a nice house? Is it wrong to have nice stuff and nice cars? It is not wrong. In fact, some of the most generous people that I know have been wealthy people. So let's not blacklist those who happen to have wealth. Let's not do that. But in that moment where you start to be envious and jealous of those who have nice houses and nice cars in the driveway, you've got to remind yourself that some of those people, maybe half, if, if not more, actually don't own their house, actually don't own those cars, actually don't own that anything in their life or much of anything in that life that purports that so-called rich lifestyle. They're snowed under in huge amounts of personal debt. So you just remind yourself of that. That's not everyone, but some of them at least. Now, hopefully you don't take any joy in recollecting like, oh, look how much money they owe and how snowed under in debt they are. Like that shouldn't be what's motivating us, but use this as a reality check to remind yourself that as a Christ follower, as, a, as someone who follows Jesus Christ, it is better to have less but enough to live on. It is better to have less but enough to live on to cover your needs than appearing to have more and not enough to live on. Than appearing to have more and actually not owning much of anything at all. That's just the wise, the truthful, truthful way in which to live. Let's move on to point number two as I look at my watch. Point number two about why spending in your notes is simply this, to examine sort of the order of your loves, your priorities, and how it affects your spending. Look at the order of your loves and how it affects where your money flows. Let me ask you this, have you, have you run into that person and you're encountering, their, encountering this person, you're spending time with this person, and they seem to love something a lot. Like they love X a lot, okay? Like to the extreme, like kale, for example. Imagine being, maybe this is you, let's not make fun of you then. Maybe you are obsessed with kale, okay? And that's your deal. But here's the thing, so you, you're like, I just don't get why they love that thing so much. But then they're probably saying the same thing about you because you love something different than them. And they're saying, I don't get that guy loving that stuff either, okay? And, and so this is often happening within us. But this, the first proverb that speaks to this is in chapter 21. This is the first one that I want to share with you on this point. Chapter 21, verse 17, uh, it says this, Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man, 
He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. And so the question is, is it wrong to enjoy pleasure, by the way? Is all pleasure wrong? Is it wrong to appreciate wine and oil, for example? What's the answer to that question? The answer is no. It's not disallowing pleasure, or wine for that matter. But this proverb is speaking to the issue of loving something inordinately, loving something too much. And if you, if you love pleasure too much, it will cost you. It will cost you a lot of money. And if you love wine too much, it will cost you a lot of money. Unless you course correct, you will blow or lar- you will blow large portions of your paycheck and then some on this thing that you love too much. And sadly, the result at the end of the day or at the end of your life, you will find yourself in poverty or in a very poor situation. This is not good. I like what uh, Bible commentator Tremper, Tremper Longman III, it's a great name, Tremper Longman uh, says this about this verse, and this is really good stuff. He says, the most common cause of poverty is laziness, but here another reason is given, overindulgence or spending above one's pay. Spending, do we need to hear that? I think so, spending above one's pay. The second line refers to celebrations of feasts, which today might be called parties, okay? That's all that, that is, parties. The oil would be used to refresh the skin of the guests, which is probably sounds weird, but they would put olive oil on their skin. That was a very good, nice thing to do for your guests back then, while the wine would be used to lubricate their throats, okay? Bible is not opposed to alcohol, but consumption should be reasonable. Now, you might recall how I framed uh, point number two here. Examine the order of your loves, how your loves affect the outflow of your money and, and affects your spending, okay? Here's what I want to share with you. You and I are, are actually hardwired to love. We're hardwired, built to love. Your creator, your designer, uh, made you uh, to, to be someone that loves other things. All right? The thing is, though, there is a certain order of your loves that God designed to work best for you. God designed you to love certain things in a certain way, in a certain order that work best for you to thrive spiritually. Tim Keller speaks to this. Yet another quote, so bear with me. Uh, He shares what he's learned from uh, Augustine, and I quote, the functional cause of our discontent, our unhappiness, is that our loves are out of order. Augustine taught that we are most fundamentally shaped not as much by what we believe or think or even do, but by what we love. He also observed that the heart's loves have an order to them, and that we often love less important things more, and the more important things less. Therefore, the unhappiness and disorder of our lives are are caused by the disorder of our loves. I don't know if you caught that. That was really deep stuff here. You and I often love the less important things more, and the more important things less. And when you love pleasure more than God, or you love pleasure more than other people, when you love wine and booze, or you love whatever medicates you, more than God, more than other people, it results in causing disorder and unhappiness and a lack of joy in your life in the very end. Uh, pastor Bob, I talk about Bob a lot, probably too much, but anyhow, he's the pastor of Pork Hills Church. He shared a true story with me, and I thought this was 
sadly hilarious. Uh, the true story was uh, about a lady in his former church in Ontario, and uh, she invites him and his wife over for coffee one day just to have a visit. And so Bob enters the woman's home with his wife, and he sees them. He sees them. You know what he sees? He sees more than 5,000 stuffed elephants and elephant figurines all over her home. More than 5,000 stuffed elephants and elephant figurines, meaning every shelf, every table, every wall, every nook and cranny in that home has a miniature or stuffed elephant upon it. And incredibly, she is boasting. She is bragging about her, how all of her money, all of her money, most of her money goes towards these elephants and buying more and more and more and more. Elephants is never enough. And the problem is, none of her money is being spent on the family members in her life who need money, who need assistance. None of that money is going towards the kids' education at all. It's going to the elephants. And so you see, she just can't see it. She can't see it. Sin has a blinding effect when it comes to our, our idolatry, our God replacements, and we just can't see the forest for the trees. But you see, everyone else can. Bob and his wife could see the obsession, could see the disordered love in her life, but she just couldn't see it. Her love of elephants was out of order, was out of order. One other uh, proverb on this point, chapter 21, verse 26, uh, says, All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. So cravings are normal, by the way. Cravings are part of how God has, has made you. The key is, what are you directing your cravings toward? What are you craving? Yes, if you, if you crave the, the lesser things, like, like I crave wealth and pleasure and substances and, and serving self, you will be made very unhappy in the end. But if you crave God, if you crave his ways, if you crave connecting, walking with Jesus, and pursuing his mission, and obeying him, you will be therefore generous with your money, as the proverb says. You will be generous towards the purposes of Jesus and his mission in and through the local church. You will be generous to those who need financial help in and around you. You see, what distinguishes the righteous person, the person who is living rightly with God, and by the way, you only become righteous because of faith and trust in Jesus when he takes away your sins and he replaces those sins with his righteousness. You can only live rightly with Jesus when you are redirecting your finances or re redirecting your cravings. You are no longer about craving self-centered stuff. You are now about craving Jesus, craving his mission, craving to serve other people. And as a result, you don't hesitate to share your wealth with the mission of Jesus and the needy in and around you and in your city and elsewhere. So, very quickly here, I want to give you the Coles Notes version, the short version for what biblically should be at the, the, the sort of the main priorities, the, the main loves that the Bible gives us, that God gives us in his word about uh, the order that is best, that works best for you, uh, the person who trusts and follows Jesus, based mainly on Matthew chapter 22, the Great Commandments, uh, 37 to 40, those verses there in Ephesians 5 and 6. So here's the biblical order of loves for the Christians. All right, here they are. Nope, that's not the one. 
Biblical order of loves for the Christian. Okay, I'll just tell you what they are. They're in your notes as well. Number one, God. And that includes God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Number one, love him first and foremost. Secondly is others. That would be the category of neighbors. There they are. And in that category of others, first and foremost should be your spouse if you're married. You should love your spouse first even before your kids. In fact, I would argue that it's best, the way in which you love your kids best is if you love your spouse first after, after Christ. And that's another sermon for another day. If you get that order out of whack, if you love your kids more than your spouse, how, what kind of marriage will you have? That will not be a quality marriage. That will not be a strong marriage. Again, I, I better stop. Then those in your church family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, and then underneath all of that, then anything else that the Bible recommends that you should love or allows you to love. That's a pretty wide category. But if you get Christ and then your family and, and people in and around you, your neighbors, and then whatever else underneath that, that will be an, an, uh, uh, an rightly ordered life. So do your loves follow that general order or are they out of whack? Do you love your job more than you love your kids? Do you love your beer? Do you love your wine more than you love your spouse? Do you love your entertainment more than your neighbors or ever having interaction with your neighbors? You know, it's more Netflix than it is hospitality towards neighbors. You know, because I'm just tired and I'm, I'm worn out. I need Netflix versus reaching out to my neighbors that Christ has put there for me to actually love and reach out to. You see what I'm saying? I'm asking you as I'm asking myself or as I'm doing myself, examine your loves. Where are the order of your loves right now? All right, I'm going to move on to number three, and I'll just quickly give it to you, and I'll see how the time goes here. Uh, number three in your notes as we move on, third biblical truth about spending money wisely is simply to pay careful attention to your finances. Ensure you, are, ensure you depend on renewable resources and not on savings for the sake of those who come after you. Pay careful attention to your finances. Ensure you are depending on renewable resources and not on savings for the sake of those who come after you. Namely, kids, if you have kids, or whoever else would receive whatever um, assets you have after you pass on. We get this from the passage that Scott read for us, uh, chapter 27, 23 to 27. And, you know, it talks a lot about farming. Uh, in and around the time that King Solomon wrote this passage, 900 B.C., it was a very much an agrarian farming-type culture. And, and so your money was your animals, your money was your sheep and your goats because that's what gave you food and sustenance. That's what you sold to make profits and so on and so forth. So the modern version from King Solomon is this. you got to know the condition of your finances. All right? Don't blow through your savings. Don't blow through your investments for the future. No. you gotta, you got to, you need to pay for your daily needs and your monthly needs from your regular income that you make from your job. Or from a pension, for example. So don't turn a blind eye. Don't forget about your bank balance. Don't forget about your savings. Don't forget about the, the debt that you owe. Don't forget about your investments. you got to know well the condition of your flocks. Do you? Do you know the condition very well of your finances in this moment? Some of you, it's January, first of the year, you're trying to lose weight like I am again. That's the story of my life, again, losing weight again or trying to. And I'm an, I'm an expert in gaining weight, just not the losing. And according to weight loss experts, it helps you to lose weight if you do what? It helps you to lose weight if you just do one basic thing. You've got to weigh yourself. 
either every day or at least once a week. You've got to weigh yourself. Interestingly, financial experts will tell you to do the same sort of thing. If you just check your online bank balance every day, if you check regularly the state of your savings, your investments, your debts online, just very naturally, incredibly, you will tend to spend less money and you will tend to save more money if you just do that. So in that sense, with your weight and with your finances, knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. Furthermore, one of the most practical ways to know well the state of your flocks is to have a budget. How many, I don't, don't raise your hand. I'm, ask, I'm wondering, how many in this room have a budget? Do you have a budget, a financial plan, a spending plan? On paper or in Excel form, whatever? Do you track your spending? I'm saying if you don't, there's help. There's a free resource, crown.org. It's a free Christian-based website. Uh, Larry, Larry Burkett, the late Larry Burkett started it. He's written all kinds of books, but there's actual templates on there for you to use. You just have to translate it to the Canadian context because, you know, for example, our cost of housing is much higher than anywhere else in North America, possibly only behind New York City. But anyhow, I better bring this thing in. There's a couple of quotes there. There's a, basically less than half of Canadians have budgets, typically, and a lot of, uh, 46% of Canadians are only $200 away from financial insolvency and, and bankruptcy. Okay, and I think even more so on the West Coast. So anyhow, you need a budget. You need a spending plan. I would say you need one here more than anywhere else in North America, if not the world. And that is the only way, if you apply God's wisdom and, and you apply the, the power of the Holy Spirit to give you the self-control and the self-discipline that you need, yes, there is hope for you, even if you're snowed under at the current time. Um, you can talk to me after, I can refer you, I'm not an expert, but I can refer you to the right people and the right resources to help you get your finances and your spending back on track. Would you pray with me as we bring this to a close? Lord God, you are so generous to us. You not only bring about salvation to us through Jesus' finished work on the cross, Jesus, you lived our life, you died our death, you rose again to save us and to rescue us from Satan, sin, and death, and from ourselves. We're so grateful, but you also provide uh, the, the power and the self-control and the self-discipline and the wisdom that we need. And we ask you uh, for it, Holy Spirit, to get our finances back on track if, if we are snowed under. We ask for your strength and, and the resolve to actually create and come up with a budget or some sort of spending plan uh, to reach out for outside Christian counsel and Christian help, whether that's crown.org or someone in our church that we know that can give us wisdom and counsel on our finances. Uh, help us not to just give up on our being in all kinds of debt, but to, to actually come up with a plan to get out of debt and to spend our, our, your money that you give to us more wisely. Uh, Lord, as we come to the Lord's table today, we remember that you paid the ultimate debt for us, our ultimate debt of sin. We were going nowhere. We were ultimately snowed under, but you reached out to us and you saved and you rescued us. And as we partake of the, the elements of communion, help us to remember and worship you and examine ourselves because of all that you've done for us in and through and by the cross. Through Christ we pray, amen.